Good morning. Thank you, Johnny and worship team for leading us this morning. Corporate worship has just been on my mind and heart a lot lately, and it is a, a real privilege, and I hope you don't take for granted uh, what it is that we get to worship corporately, and then even above that, to be led by such a, uh, an incredible team of lead worshipers. So thank you, guys. Um, there are uh, certain sentiments, certain phrases that maybe we've heard so many times and found wanting that when we hear them again, the little bit of cynicism in the back of our head pops up and makes us respond, but is it really? See, I'm a picky eater, always have been, and uh, for some reason people take offense that I'm a picky eater. Most offensive is that I don't like bacon, but pretty close to that is that I don't like guacamole. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been at a party and been at a get-together and someone says, here, do you want some guacamole? I go, no, I don't like guacamole. And they say the same thing every time, but you haven't tried my guacamole. (laughs) You see, if you had tried mine, you'd find out you just don't like bad guacamole, but you would like mine. Mine is different. To which I respond, but, but is it really? Or uh, maybe uh, you get the Facebook message from your friend from high school you haven't heard from in some time, and they begin the same way, hey, hey man, or hey girly, if you're a girl, and uh, I saw a picture you posted of such and such, and just uh, remind me, I haven't heard from you in a while, how are you? Oh, I'm good, how are you? And they say, well, I have you, I've got an opportunity I wanted to talk to you about. It's changed my family's life. Passive income. All you have to do is recruit 10 people that recruit 10 people that recruit 10 people and the money just starts coming in. Allowed me financial security and you can have this same thing. Do you want some more info? And you say, well, that sounds like a pyramid scheme. And they go, no, no, no. My company's different. To which you should reply, but is it really? Or the friend who really this time right after the seventh toxic relationship they've been in this year, really this time, they're going to really give singleness a go, just really find themselves only a few days later to go, but I, I met someone, and this one's different. Anyway, is it really? Or how about when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sometimes I want to go, but, but is it really? Because it doesn't feel light all the time. Life certainly never feels easy. So is it really what you say it is, Jesus? Or is this another one of these that I need to put my guard up just waiting for the hook? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. This morning we were in Matthew chapter 11 a few months ago, and we looked at John the Baptist. Baptizes Jesus, hears the voice of God, sees this incredible display. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased and finds himself doubting. Chapter moves on to a a group of people that have some preconceived notions about who Jesus should be. 
Right, he says, well, John came to you super pious and, and lived in the wilderness and ate bugs and, and, and just lived off of this. And you said he was crazy. So I, I came living much differently. And you said I was just a drunkard and a glutton. Now, we came and we tried wedding. You didn't like it. We tried funeral. You wouldn't mourn with us. We never looked like what you expected us to look like. John didn't get it. These people don't get it. And then he gets to what's a really bizarre passage when read out of context. But in this progression of groups that don't get it, he identifies unrepentant cities. Specifically comparing them to three cities that he says will have a better day on Judgment Day than these three cities. Now, those of us who are not great with biblical geography, uh, it may not make much sense, but the three cities that are going to Hades, according to Jesus, are all Jewish cities. One of them, Capernaum, being the one that Jesus made his hometown, Matthew chapter 4. And the three cities that he says will have a better day on that day are Gentile cities, but not just any Gentile cities. The last one he lists is Sodom. It says, Judgment Day will be better for those from Sodom, the city of Sodom, than Capernaum. These entire groups of people got to see Jesus' miracles but refused to respond to his call to repentance. They didn't get it. Which would lead us to maybe a, a bit of a disappointing chapter if not for this final piece. Nobody gets it. The, the ones closest to Jesus don't get it. The religious elite that are, are, have a very narrow view of what the Messiah will look like don't get it. Even those who were from his town that saw his miraculous deeds don't get it. So who then can get it? And Jesus tells us. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Says at that time, Jesus thanks the Father for making this revelation that is who God is through Jesus, difficult to understand for the wise and intelligent and somehow easily understood by the little ones. Jesus has a knack for this. He does it regularly where he exposes the, the folly of man's arrogance to think that they should be able to decipher God, to plug the formulas with the right inputs and then output will be what God is. And, and it's, it's smooth and it's simple and we can tie a bow around it. Jesus says, not so fast. 
this simple truth has confounded the wise and intelligent for that very reason. It's not a simple formula that you can punch in. In fact, if you have tried to live out your faith in that way, you have found it wanting. Because it's only a matter of time before your inputs and the world's outputs don't line up. The things that you put in and the things that come back to you do not line up smoothly so that you can go, yep, here it is, this works well. He says, thank you, Father, for making this hidden from the wise and intelligent and understandable by the little ones. The unpretentious, the, the simple-minded. Right? This is a recipe for humility. Because either you think very highly of yourself and Jesus is telling you you won't figure it out on your own. Or you take your dose of humble pie and you acknowledge that there is no way for you to wrap your brain around the God of the universe, creator of all things seen and unseen, and allow him to simply be revealed in Jesus. But if it's so simple, then why does Jesus then go into this bizarre circular argument about no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father and whoever he chooses to reveal him to? That doesn't sound simple. That doesn't sound basic. That actually sounds pretty convoluted and complicated. But I actually think it is pretty simple. I think this is all Jesus is trying to say. That Jesus chose to reveal himself and who God is through him in a very specific way, and that would be his life here on earth. And that regardless of what sort of hermeneutic gymnastics you would like to do around it, you cannot morph Jesus into anything other than what he chose to be and how he chose to reveal himself. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And some of us have crafted Jesus into this hammer. And boy, we are on the lookout for anything that needs a good whopping, right? And here's the thing, when you're ready, on the defensive, you've got your, your Jesus hammer here, anybody that doesn't look like you, boy, we're quick. Right, playing the gopher game, anything that pops up that doesn't look like it's supposed to, we're hitting it. But Jesus says, no, that, that option is not available to you. I've revealed myself very specifically and the life of Jesus, and you cannot craft it into anything else. And you go, well, hold on, but, but Jesus is this big, powerful thing, right? We, we, we love the, the passages in Revelation, right? Jesus coming back on his white horse, slaughtering everybody, blood everywhere, right? We love those pictures. But he's not coming back on the war horse. He's coming back on the victory horse. This battle's been won. His clothes are bloody when he comes into battle. That's nobody else's blood. It's his own spilled for you. It's not a sword like we think. It tells us the sword is the word of its testimony. Yes, people will be cut down on that day, but it will be by the word of God for those that are unrepentant. You go, what about the lion pictures, right? We hear the roar of lion in Revelation. But you know what John, the revelator, tells us? He hears this big roar and he turns around to see what did it and he doesn't see a lion. 
sees a lamb who had been slaughtered. A lamb that had been slaughtered on behalf of you, on behalf of me. You see, it requires a perversion of Scripture to present a Jesus outside of the one we are given in the Gospels. He says, I've chosen to reveal myself in this way. It's not all that complicated. It's actually rather simple. If you, know, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. The life he lived. The way he treated people. The way he spoke to people. And you go, well, don't forget, Jesus is powerful. You're right. Most powerful man to ever walk these, uh, this earth because he was fully God and fully man, which makes it even more impressive that according to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus calls himself gentle and lowly. A book recently came out, 2021, called Gentle and Lowly. Dane Ortland, you should read it. It's a good book. But boy, he took flack. How dare you make Jesus this namby-pamby emotional wimp? No. I'm simply quoting the man himself. If you want to read a more difficult, harder book in the 1600s, Thomas Goodwin wrote a book, The Heart of Christ in Heaven for Sinners on Earth. And both of these books paint the same picture that throughout Scripture we see a Jesus who is concerned for you and I. Gentle and lowly, it says. That's how he's chosen to reveal himself in Jesus. That's how God has chosen to reveal himself in Jesus. So what's it all matter? Well, the reason it matters is because of that. And might I add, only because of who Jesus was we then can actually experience rest. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened. I'm going to venture to guess that without exception, every single person in this room can list the burdens they walked in with. Burdens of financial insecurity, burdens of family turmoil, burdens of maybe the loss of a loved one. And I'm not claiming, and neither is Jesus, that you have those burdens because you're not faithful enough. It's called the prosperity gospel and it's heresy full stop. I'm not claiming that if you truly grasp the text this morning, which again, be careful claiming you fully grasp it because Jesus said you don't. But I'm not even claiming that if you fully grasp it this morning, that all those burdens float away. In fact, I can almost promise you that whatever burdens you walked through that door with this morning, you will walk out with the same ones. 
But so then is Jesus wrong? Well, well, no. But he's offering something deeper than simply temporal relief of difficulties. I've told you before uh, um, that C.S. Lewis once said, uh, we are like children building mud pies on the sand because we don't understand the significance of the offering of a holiday at sea. The problem is not that you want too much from God. It's that you'll settle for too little from this world. In fact, it would be Uh, it would be less significant if Jesus only offered temporary relief from struggle this side of eternity than what I'm talking about and what Jesus is talking about. It's much deeper and much uh, broader than simply your life is easier for the 70 to 90 years that you get here. What I am talking about and what Jesus is talking about is what Scripture calls a peace that surpasses all understanding. Not a peace accompanied by all things being smoothed out in your path, but a peace in spite of the fact that it is rocky ahead of you. Right? He's offering rest for your souls, a deep, deep rest and peace that words have difficulty describing so much more than just temporal relief from difficulty. So what is his solution? Like wrestling, uh, I'm going to tag him in and then he's going to come in, beat up the bad guy. I'm going to rest on the side, get a couple drinks of water. And then once he's settled it all, he'll tag me back in. No, no, no. He invites me to accompany him in the work that he is already doing. We talk a lot about being on mission where our feet are. I suspect most of you can recite that phrase by this point. I hope most of you, but maybe you have trouble defining what we mean by that. And some of that's because the word missions kind of got really narrow and we, we turned it into going far away or doing something big. That's missions. And so you hear us talk about being on mission where your feet are and you go, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Can I tell you the simplest definition of missions that I think is accurate? Simply finding where Jesus is at work and joining him. That's missions. Sometimes it takes you far away. Sometimes it requires you for a short period of time to do something that you simply could not do all the time. But more often than not, it's just the simple act of looking around seeing where God is at work in your midst and joining him. When he says, take up my yoke, there is some effort going to be put forth. Now he calls it easy. Certainly it is easier than doing it yourself. You've all got boots. When you go home, try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not just hard, it's impossible. He says, yoke up with me And join me in what I'm doing. And what is he doing? 
Well, the same thing he was doing when he was here on this earth, he is singularly focused on pointing people to God. That's all he did. Singularly focused on showing people the God of the universe, creator of all things seen and unseen, and how good he is. So we join him in that. We join him in what he's already doing. Plowing ahead this, this road straight forward in one direction. Not looking back over our shoulder to see what maybe we gave up, but simply moving forward in the way of Jesus. Yoke up with me, he says. Join me in what I am doing here. Join me moving forward. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Bobby came by my office a couple weeks ago and we were chatting about a a phenomenon that, that seemed to come out of nowhere, but maybe that's the failure of the church at large to think it came up out of nowhere. But there is a word that has sprung up among my generation and the one just younger than mine, uh, deconstruction. It's young people deconstructing the faith that they were given, often with no real intention of reconstructing, just simply deconstructing examining the things that they've been told to evaluate whether or not they still adhere to these things. And a lot of the, the students, college students and, and high school students that I've talked to that are going through this process, you know what I've found out? They're not actually deconstructing from Jesus. Most of them are hanging really tightly to Jesus. They're deconstructing from a Western understanding of religion that says it's your responsibility to do more, work harder, and be better. That you've got to be, uh, I remember, I, I heard it when I was in college, a pastor uh, I said, if you're a dad, that every single day you should work so hard and then you come home and you play with your kids so hard and then they go to bed and you check in with your wife and you just pass out on the bed every night and then wake up the next day to do it again. You got to work hard. And I was so uh, guilty. I thought, well, the job that I, I think God's called me to isn't really going to exhaust me. Right? I, I feel like maybe I'm not doing enough as a dad now when I, I let that lie creep into my head. But we have a Western religion that says you've got to do more. When you show up at church, you look the part. It doesn't matter what you did on the right here. You smile in your Sunday best, and we'll gather up in three hours. Right? A, a, a religion that is built upon how much have you done for me lately? And now we have a wave of young people going, I don't know that I buy into this anymore. I'm not sure Jesus would either. Here's what I've found, guys, lest you be concerned. When you start to understand this fully, you probably 
won't find yourself doing less in the name of Jesus. Right, if that's your worry that here's a millennial up there and he's gonna raise up a bunch of lazy Christians. Every generation thought the next generation was the worst. You're nothing, nothing new. Right, but if you think, well, here's this millennial and he, we're gonna have a bunch of lazy Christians coming up. No, no, no. I suspect if you get this, you might find yourself doing more in the name of Jesus. But it's going to be pulling resources, not from your own ambition, will, and strength, but from the goodness of who God is. And you're going to find yourself maybe even busier and well-rested. Maybe doing even more and yet more at peace about who you are in Jesus. Jesus wasn't wrong when he promised that those that yoke up with him find the burden lightened, the yoke made lighter, life easier to trudge through because of who he is. Right? This is the name we were promised, and you will call him Emmanuel. That's not just a Christmas word. That name may very well be the only way that we can live into this rest and peace. That we serve a God that is not up on high telling you to do more, work harder, be better, but a God who is with us, yoked up alongside us, inviting us to join him in the work that God is doing here on earth. So if you find yourself today burdened, if you find yourself today weary, heavy laden, and you hear Jesus claim that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and you find yourself asking, but is it really? I'm here to tell you it is really different. Let's pray. God, you're so good. And you're for our good. We're so incredibly grateful. God, forgive us when we take that truth for granted. God, I pray that you would do something today in the lives and through the lives of the people in this room. When we leave this sanctuary, that you would do something that we cannot take credit for, God. Something so big that our only explanation would simply be, God did that. It's your name I pray. Amen.